We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And joining us today is Belen Mesfin Packwood, who's the CEO of Change Consulting. Let's jump in and get to know Belen. Belen, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, awesome. And we're excited to hang out with you today. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, yeah. So much to learn from you and excited to jump in and get to know some of the work that you're doing today. But first, tell us about you. Oakland by way of Atlanta and Addis Ababa. Like, tell us about this. Tell us the journey, the family journey first. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. <laughs> and we'll start from my date of birth. But um, <laughs> I was born in, in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And when I was about 11, my family moved here. Initially, we moved to New Jersey. We lived in East Orange, New Jersey. Then we moved to Georgia. And so I spent my high school years in Georgia and then went to college in Tennessee and then made my way to California for grad school and then just have stayed here ever since. So Oakland has been my home probably the longest of any of my previous homes. And it's where I found my family, met my husband actually right next door (laughs) to my apartment. This is where my daughter was born, and it's also where Change Consulting was born. So here I That's cool. That's great. Each a little different from each other, right? What do you think you learned, you know, from your early days, not being in Oakland, but some of the earlier days, what are some of the things that you think you learned from living there and then also from your family that you carry forward today? Yeah, this is such a good question. So I think probably a few different layers to it. One is that I very much identify as a Black immigrant. And so even in my consulting life right now, oftentimes when people think of consulting, they think of white male, (laughs) white male-led consulting firms. And there's a certain culture that comes with that. And for me, as a Black immigrant, especially Ethiopian, I always start off like every consulting relationship with listening, because that's, I think, what my culture is about. It's coming in with you know, not pretending to know all the answers, but coming in, seeing what the context is, listening, trying to understand where folks are. And so I think I very much bring a decolonized lens to consulting, which I think serves me well, to be honest. So that's that on kind of the business side and the experiences that I've had as an immigrant, a young person who moved to East Orange, which I know Corel, you're from New Jersey, you know what East Orange is like. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and same thing in Atlanta, you know, I grew up without not a lot of money or resources. And so my family always instilled in me the idea that it's all about your education and you mm. have to work hard. And, you know, that there was still this, this idea that things were possible for us, for me and my brother. And so I carry that with me a lot, like that immigrant ethos of possibility, I think, serves me well to this day. That's awesome. Can you tell us about the work today at Change? Tell us what's happening at Change Consulting. What are you working on? Yeah. Yeah. So Change Consulting is a full-service social justice communications agency. We're now a team of eight folks, soon hopefully to be about 12, which is mind-boggling to me, to be honest. And we work on social justice and racial justice issues. So we provide communication services to changemakers who are working on probably some of the toughest issues of our time, you know, criminal Mm -hmm. justice reform, 
education equity, health equity, and it's all about making sure that Black communities and communities of color have the opportunities they need to thrive mm-hmm. and working on removing systemic barriers to those opportunities too. So a lot of our work deals with policy change and systems change mm-hmm. in particular. And we offer kind of three buckets of services. One is overall communication strategy and branding and messaging. Two, we do hands-on implementation around our media and digital content. And then we also offer capacity building and training services as well. So that's kind of our sweet spot in terms of partnering with visionaries and change makers who really have a different vision for our world and trying to make that possible for them through communications. Now, you've been doing this at Change Consulting for, if I'm looking, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, 13 years or over 13 years now, right? And we've seen a lot of companies that have popped up over the last couple of years, right? Specifically because of what's happened in our country the last few years. Where did the idea come from to start Change Consulting 13 plus years ago before it was popular? Let's just say Yeah, no, thank you. That's also a great question. So I think for me, growing up as an immigrant, growing up in low income situations, I think a lot of the things I experienced at the time, I thought were very individual to us, (laughs) to my family. And it wasn't really after college that I started realizing that these issues were really systemic, that it was not personalized or individualized towards me, but that a lot of folks were experiencing them. And so That's, I think, when I started having an understanding that if it was systemic, you know, if the problems are systemic, the solutions are also systemic. And that's when I think I started getting really passionate about social justice and racial justice work. My training was, I'd always been a writer. (laughs) I went to grad school for journalism. Mm -hmm. I worked both in kind of magazines and newsrooms, and I also worked as a comms professional. And then when I decided to start consulting on my own, I was very clear that who I wanted to work with was nonprofits who are working on those issues. So that's really how it started. And it actually was back in 2008. I don't know if you all remember, President Obama was campaigning. There was this idea that change was, was possible. And I was very much inspired by all that inspired by the leadership of Black folks and Black leaders. At the time, actually, there were a few other social justice firms. One, the big one was called Fenton that had been around for a really long time that worked on communications for social justice. But then there were also other two specific Black women consultants and firms who are also really inspiring to me. One is Matani Themba, who's amazing. And then there was another closer to home in the Bay Area, another communications consulting shop led by a woman as well. And so I saw examples of that and said, why not me? (laughs) I started off as a solo consultant and I did that for a really long time. I have to be really honest that the idea that the change consulting could be a business that also employs other people besides just me took me a while to wrap my (laughs) mind around. And the mindset it took to grow it also took a while but I was pretty certain that that's what I was going to do was consult with racial justice leaders. I think there's some unique qualities. And for those listening that don't know, what are the unique sort of scenarios that nonprofits, foundations, 
and other sort of mission-driven organizations face when it comes to their communications challenges? Like what makes that different from, let's say, other companies or let's say companies and other folks who are challenged with in the communications area? Sure. You know, I call myself a communications consultant versus a marketer, which, you know, marketing professionals typically work in the for-profit world. And it's typically about selling products. You know, communications is used for that purpose. For nonprofits, communications has a much different need. It's about donations typically. Oftentimes it's about making sure people are using their programs. So attracting members and other folks who can take advantage of their services. And then for us, where this is where we really focus on, it's also about advocacy and systems change work, policy change work. So that's the need for communications versus I need to sell X amount of products to make X amount of revenue. And that's kind of what the marketing purpose is. Foundations are also completely different. You know, for a long time, actually, when I first started, I don't think foundations actually saw the need for communications in the way that I've seen them kind of grow into that field now because there is no actual like external need to communicate. I think that was the thought. They don't need to raise money. Grantees will always come to them. And so at the time, there weren't actually a lot of foundations that were looking to do communications. That has changed, you know, with how much social media has exploded. There's just, you know, now everybody needs to communicate in a way that wasn't possible just even 13 years ago. Um, right. Yeah. Myself. And so I've definitely seen foundations also seeing the need for communications to be more transparent with grant grantees to have kind of influence in the way policy is made, things like that. And so I would say we used to work almost exclusively with nonprofits and now our portfolio is about split, I would say, working with both nonprofits and and foundations too. Gotcha. And Phil, and I'm curious to know, what does a day of a CEO look like? Tell us what's the day in the life of a CEO. I'm sure you have your hands in really all aspects of your business, but give us some insights into that. It's been shifting a lot. I actually changed my title just last year. For a long time, I was a founder and principal. It was hard for me to kind of think about the fact that I needed to change my title. It felt like that I was kind of pretending or making things up. But for me, it was really important to change my title so that I could have it reflect my mindset and kind of what the role I wanted to play as change consulting grew. So it took a while, but I finally did that. (laughs) And and (laughs) with that has come my a journey, I would say, because it's not complete, to try to move beyond just kind of the day-to-day work to really setting kind of the vision for change, what I want the future to be, thinking about the growth of change, even things like this, <laughs> which I actually, you know, for more than a decade, I never sought out external opportunities to kind of share my journey or any lessons learned or things like that. I was very much focused just on client service and delivering really stellar client service. And so that has kind of shifted, especially as we hired, now we have two VPs, you know, one who leads the strategy work, one who leads the engagement work. And that frees me up a little bit more to kind of extricate myself from daily client work to Mondays, I spend time thinking about the future, (laughs) you know? So I spend time thinking about the next things I want to build to change and kind of what other creative services do I want to add? What are some of the ways I want to share some of the learning that we have? Pretty much every day I do business development work. 
writing proposals or talking with people. And a lot of our marketing actually is just word of mouth. It's very relationship-based. So it's very important for me to meet with our potential clients to see if it's a fit, not just if they think we're a fit, but also if they're a fit for us in terms of our racial justice lens and things like that. Spend a lot of time on operations more than I ever have. And I would say marketing is kind of the least, we definitely are investing more in marketing, but it's, it's taking me some time because for so long, it's just been word of mouth. People just refer us, but I'm trying to kind of strengthen that part of our work too. And then I still do a lot of client work, writing strategy documents and menus, reviewing things, spending a lot of time with my team and managing them and kind of responding to client inquiries. Sometimes I still pitch, you know, so it runs the gamut. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it seems like as the business has grown and evolved over the last 13 years, so has your role that you play in the business as well, too. And, And I'm curious to understand from you, what have you learned about yourself in that process? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I just really love about owning a business actually is the year to year self growth, (laughs) you know, like there's just so many opportunities to understand who you are, what you're not good at, what you need to get better at, what you are good at. And I find that really exciting, to be honest. I like kind of always finding new ways to stretch myself, (laughs) which probably drives my husband crazy, but I kind of very much enjoy it. And what I've learned about myself actually is that, you know, I started out very much as kind of a communications professional, quote unquote, but I really actually love building things, you know, like I love building the idea of building a container where other people want to come and work (laughs) and a container that kind of treats people really well, that kind of rethinks what business means, both for employees and for clients. I like the idea that I get to be creative in that way. It's like one of the things I realized is for sure, I'm very much, I don't have a business background, (laughs) you know? And so I understand there's years, decades and decades of theory and practice around what businesses should do and, and should not do. And I also see the possibility of just kind of upending things and doing them the way you want to. So I really like the creative aspect of that as well. As your business has grown and all the work has grown, what's it like now having a much larger team than you ever imagined you'd have? What are kind of some tips and some advice you could pass on from taking something from where you never thought it would be to like where it is today? Yeah, I would say... Just speaking personally for me, again, I didn't have a business background. There were no other entrepreneurs in my family that set a path forward to whether or not this could be done. And so one of the things I realized is with every level of growth, it requires a different mindset. And so a lot of time (laughs) is spent on adjusting my mindset of what could be possible. I would say that's the first place to start. The second thing is what I've realized is to kind of see it as a journey versus trying to accomplish everything all at once. And so about, I would say two to three years ago, I came up with like a 10 year plan, which if you knew me, you would understand that that is a new thing (laughs) because usually I very much live in the moment. I don't know if I've ever had a 10 year plan and it's not like (laughs) a 10 year business plan. It's really just a 10 year kind of arc of where I want to see things to go. 
And then once that's done, I really just focus on like one year at a time. So if I've hit a certain milestone in my year long journey this year, I'm excited about that versus being overwhelmed by the whole 10 years or where I want to be in 10 years. And so that, that takes a lot of the pressure out of it. If you're just able to think of it as a journey, especially to be honest, if you are a business owner, you don't really have a lot of resources to invest right now to scale at a massive level. And a lot of the ways we grow is we just reinvest the profits back into the business. There's no external outside investor that takes a lot of the pressure off of me in terms of the growth. The other thing is that I really believe leadership is about people versus tasks or things that are done. And so I take the fact that there are all these folks who have signed on to work with me very seriously. (laughs) I, I want them to be better off by being part of change, not just in terms of their career, but they're growing as people, they're growing in their personal lives and and their professional lives. So I think a lot about that as well. For change consulting, what are two or three of the biggest issues that you're working on with your clients? What are maybe two or three of them that are the biggest for you in 2022? Mm. So criminal justice and youth justice has been a, a big issue that we worked on for a long time. So criminal justice reform, youth justice reform continues to be a focus area for sure. Another thing we set the intention to focus on this year actually is power. So both democratic power in terms of the power Black folks and folks of color have over the decision-making processes of their lives. That includes elections, that includes civic engagement, et cetera. Another intention that I've set is around financial power as well. And so really intentionally looking for projects that really deal with the racial wealth gap is something that I'm excited about for this year. That's great. What are you following to sort of stay in touch with, with everything that you just mentioned? What resources do you sort of turn to besides working with your clients to know exactly what's happening? I will say working with our clients is actually really amazing. For example, on criminal justice and youth justice reform and democracy, we're working with some amazing visionaries that I always learn a lot from. And I'm always kind of reading articles and issue papers and research papers and things like that to really understand where things are because they're always shifting. But I also very much believe in the vision and kind of solutions that change makers have around these issues. And so those are kind of some of my primary sources of information around it, I would say. Around financial power, it's actually a, a newer area for me. And so I'm making part of what I do on Mondays actually these days is read a lot about the racial wealth gap to try to understand what the landscape looks like, who is working in this issue area, who are the leaders and the solution makers, I'm spending at least like one or two hours on Mondays on research on that because I want to get a better understanding of that issue for sure. I'm going to switch it up here a little bit because all of us on this podcast are married and have kids. So work-life balance, give Eric and I some tips, give us some advice. (laughs) I don't know if I have any advice for anybody. Work-life balance, what is that? Um, No, honestly, you know, I would say I became a mom about four years ago. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. My daughter has definitely reoriented 
not only my schedule, (laughs) but also just my priorities, to be honest. And so she has made me grow up in a lot of ways and helped me slow down in a lot of ways too, that I think has actually benefited also the way I do work and business. So I'm very grateful for that. She's been one of my biggest teachers. So it used to be that I could work literally, I used to work literally nonstop, (laughs) you know, wake up, get ready, work. And I could wrap up work whenever I wanted. Essentially, I could wake up as early as I wanted. And so now that's not the case. There's definitely a schedule because there's preschool drop-offs in the morning. Got to do that. So work cannot start before 9 a.m. most days. And then she comes home at five. And so work got to stop there. Got to take care of her. Got to take care of her the family. And I also really enjoy spending time with her. And so we do that. Weekends on Saturdays, I'm with her most days. <laughs> so Saturday work has gone out the window and Sundays is really family time. And so what that meant is you got to maximize your time. You got to be focused on that and do it and have a checklist and have your to-do list and kind of do it as much as possible. I wake up pretty early and spend, I would say two to three hours in the morning before she wakes up, just kind of like on myself or spiritual work, or if there's some work I need to catch up on, I do it then. I've learned it's really important to delegate. And I'm also pretty grateful to my husband, who's also an entrepreneur too. And he's very much like a partner in that. So that makes a huge, (laughs) like an absolutely huge difference. And it's not always perfect, but it makes things doable for sure. Question for you there. Like so much of the work I feel that you're doing is not only for today, but for future generations as well too. And I'm curious to hear from you if having a child and knowing that like, okay, you want to make this world not only a better place for all future generations, but for your child too, did having a child, did that provide extra motivation from the business aspect of things as well too? A hundred percent. I think from both a cause or issue area focus, you know, I started working on actually maternal justice work after I had her because being a Black mom, I experienced some of the issues that the medical industry has around racism and Black mothers, and it's a huge issue. And so it actually woke me up to that. And we did a big campaign last last year with five Bay Area counties around birth justice, which is an issue personally that I'm passionate about. So in terms of the work, I think it's it's definitely deepened my desire to see a different world for a Black girl to grow up in than the the current one. So I think that's true. And then I'm very much aware that I want to make sure she has as much opportunity as she can. And so I think that really drives both me and my husband as parents. We kind of just don't want her to experience maybe some of the things we experienced, not just financially or economically, but really honestly, in terms of time and emotional care and kind of that she gets to determine who she who she wants to be in the world. I think yeah. it's something I think about a lot and probably what a lot of parents think about a lot too. Absolutely. And ask you all about that too, but I know we, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. It's something that I think is, is top of mind for probably all parents these days, especially parents uh, that, you know, people of color as well. So absolutely agree with you there. 
Curious to know from you, anyone that's listening to this podcast that's thinking about starting their own business, what advice would you give them? The first advice would be just to do it. (laughs) Do it. I think today, especially even more than when I first started, there are so many tools and everything is Googleable. You can go on YouTube and figure everything out that you need to figure out. And so not letting kind of lack of knowledge or lack of exposure stop you, I think is a good thing. And I would also say probably this would be the auntie in me speaking because when I first started, (laughs) I was in my late 20s and I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a family. And so I just kind of jumped into it. And probably what the advice I would have given myself back then is just to plan it out and to kind of see the end before you maybe even begin so that you know what you're working toward. So I think naivete probably helped me a lot, but it could probably have helped me to just kind of pause and think about what the plan like five years down the road would be. And probably things would have happened more quickly if I had done that. The other thing I would say is just invest in your own growth and learning as much as possible. Prioritize that maybe over clothes or shoes or whatever, like investing your own learning, get a coach or get into some sort of class, whether it's a traditional class, online class from reputable folks, just learn as much as you can and kind of make it a goal to learn new things literally every, every year, if you can, I think is another advice that I would give. Love that. Love it a lot. All right. Fun question. I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast, which is to tell us what the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging because those are just way too boring. Sure. Top three apps. So so you're going to, I'm going to be telling on myself because top app probably is Instagram. That's okay. (laughs) Instagram. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. I also, this, these days I've been spending time on Coinbase because I'm trying to get into Bitcoin and all that. So I spend time on that. And then honestly, Google Maps, because I kind of can't get anywhere without Google Maps. <laughs> 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 Love it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Bill, and for hanging out with us. It's been a lot of fun and great hearing about all the work you're focused on with like maternal justice, birth justice. Black motherhood, right? And and also about power and different types of power, financial power and addressing the wealth gaps and also all the hard work with criminal justice reform. So thanks so much for sharing a little bit about that and also a little bit about you. Where can our listeners sort of stay in touch with you? How can they reach you? First, just to say thank you for having me. Y'all made this so much fun. I was a little nervous, but this has been a wonderful <laughs> Thank you. Great. And then... You can just go to our website, www.change-llc.com and get our contact information that way as well. Super. Well, thanks again for joining us and thanks everyone for listening. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again, Bill. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much.